You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yo, ding dong, man. Ding dong. Ding dong, yo. Back on The Pipeline Show, and my first guest this week is uh, another member of the Ask the Commission segments that we've been doing all this month, asking commissioners from different leagues to come on the show and talk about their respective league. This time it's uh, south of the border with the NCAA, and that means it's an NCAA campus report segment brought to you by College Hockey Inc. Stay up to date on everything happening around the world of NCAA hockey. And if you're a player or you have a player in your family that is looking to uh, feel out all their options and uh, is exploring the College Hockey option, no, well, in College Hockey Inc. is a great resource uh, for you. We'll answer a lot of the questions you might have on uh, maintaining your eligibility so that you can play College Hockey. My guest today in the Ask the Commission segment is the commissioner of the NCHC Conference. And, uh, boy, this is a conference that is uh, dominating NCAA hockey here as of late. Josh Fenton is my guest. Welcome to the program, Josh. How are things? Things are great, Guy. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you in the summer. I know it's we, we joke that there's not much of an off-season anymore. Are you having lots of meetings or lots of golf or lots of meetings while you golf? Well, I tell you, I have a uh, 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old, all boys. Um, and unless I'm on the golf course with them, I'm not on the golf course. So yeah. um, with the family time, uh, we're we're busy doing this type of stuff here in the summer. But, uh, you know, I thought summer's been good. And, yes, we're getting ready for another season that's coming up here fairly, fairly shortly. What is on the agenda in the off season? What sort of things do you have to deal with? Well, you know, it really goes back to kind of the springtime. So we wrap up the college hockey season, obviously, at the Frozen Four. And um, we've been fortunate to have a team standing right there at the end the last four years. And so that's been exciting for the conference. But then we go into a mode uh, really through the month of April and preparing for our annual meetings. So we have annual meetings with our constituents from our membership. So whether it be head coaches, athletic directors, faculty, athletic representatives, and then for our conference, our board of directors are represented by our presidents and chancellors, and so I have a board meeting uh, in the middle of May. So it's a lot of preparation uh, for those meetings, obviously hosting those meetings, and those meetings are really kind of a look back on the year that was and a, and a little bit of a glimpse forward to the future. And so once we get through those, which kind of takes us towards the end of May, um, we start to somewhat unofficially close the books on, on the previous year, although our fiscal year runs through the end of August. Uh, and then we start to transition and, and put some plans in place uh, for the upcoming season and, and even beyond. And a lot of the things that, that we're working on and focused on really come from the discussions in our annual meetings and taking direction and, and leadership uh, direction from our membership uh, from those meetings. And so uh, whether it be updating policy and procedure, new policy, uh, touching base with our television partners, uh, we're going through a, a transition with our uh, digital video network technology provider. So it's a lot of things that you frankly cannot do during the season because you just don't have the time to do them right. and you wouldn't want to do them in the season. Um, but they need to get done on an annual basis. And so therefore, I guess the summertime is the time to do it. All right, well, we'll touch on some of those subjects moving forward, but I guess maybe the way we should start is by looking back at the season that was, and it was a really another strong year for your conference, and uh, mention that uh, now the the conference has uh, four NCAA national uh, uh, champions in a row, consecutive in a row, and, and with the Duluth Bulldogs winning back-to-back, which uh, is a rarity, could go for the uh, super-rare three-peat. It's like since the 50s? Since the team won three in a row? Yeah, the University of Michigan won three in a row 
Actually, uh, the first 10 national championships were held at the Broadmoor Arena in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is actually where our office is and, frankly, where I'm sitting talking to you probably only about maybe a, a driver away to the old arena, Broadmoor Arena. And so Michigan won three in a row back in the 50s at Broadmoor Arena. So I've told Scott Sandlin, uh, you know, no pressure. It hasn't been done for, you know, 60-some years at this point. <laughs> Well, they've got a team that could actually legitimately get back and do it all again uh, this year. So we'll we'll watch for that for sure. But when you look back at this past season, what were some of the highlights outside of the the national title for uh, for Duluth? What were some of the highlights for the NCHC along the way? Well, obviously the overall competitive success, Duluth capping off at the end was was the cherry on top. But uh, you know we had two teams with Duluth and Denver make the Frozen Four. Um, and, and Denver unfortunately lost a very good UMass team in that semifinal game. But um, by having two teams in the Frozen Four um, and, uh, and 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 four teams in the tournament, um, you know, it just kind of continued to speak to the competitive success that we've had uh, in the conference. You know, our non-conference record, which is obviously the uh, record of our teams against. Uh, teams in other conferences continue to be at, at a high mark. We we won a 6.59 winning percentage in non-conference play, um, and I think we were the, certainly the only conference over 600. And I think there was only one or two more over 500. And so, you know, that non-conference success has allowed us to maximize the number of teams um, that are in the uh, NCAA tournament each and every year. Um, and, and in fact, our, our non-conference record over the past six years, which obviously goes back to the start of our conference is 633 so um that mark right there is is a we're we're pretty proud of that mark um you know we had six six skaters earn all american honors um which continues to be about the number that we have each and every year i think we had three in the first team and three in the second team um and so from a competitive standpoint and on ice accolades um you know we did we did great things we had another um, great NCHC frozen face-off in downtown St. Paul at XL Energy Center, where the home of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, it's, it was our second year at that venue. We were previously four years at Target Center across the river in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, made the move over to Excel 2018 event and 2019 continued to just kind of uh, move the needle forward from the uh, success we had in that first year in 2018. And so we had probably one of the best college hockey games that I've seen in the six years of our conference in the championship game when Minnesota Duluth and St. Cloud State battled it out to a, uh, a two-overtime um, affair uh, in front of a great crowd, obviously full of maroon and gold and in red, white, and black uh, representing St. Cloud State and, and Minnesota Duluth right there in the state of Minnesota. So we had another great, great tournament there. Um, I, I briefly mentioned our digital network and some transition that we're going through with technology on our digital network, but our digital network, nchc.tv, continue to be a strong point and, and a success point for our conference this past year. It's a Really the only, um, what I would call fully integrated digital network in all of college hockey and one of the few of them in college athletics, um, in the NCAA world, uh, where we have approximately 150 live games that stream through the network. Plus we complement those live games with, with video on demand content. There's, there's news, news, uh, aggregator uh, features where you can read news articles from school websites or our website, social integration. Um, and it's just a great platform to get any and all information and, and get great content from the conference and our member institutions. So NCHC TV continued to be a, 
a pretty big thing for us, you know, and, and then also our national television partnership, or I should say our television partnerships in general, but nationally with CBS Sports Network, we had 14 games uh, broadcasted nationally to their audience of 60 million households across the U.S. Um, on CBS Sports Network, which is a big brand building thing and helping to tell our story here in the NCHC on a pretty big linear platform. And then we have a great partnership with the regional sports network, Fox Sports North, out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, obviously an important market for us. And those feature games from St. Cloud State or Minnesota Duluth. So a lot of great things from the, from the past year, but uh, we're always looking to certainly make improvements for the future. Well, I tell you, being north of the border, uh, getting to watch games can be a challenge uh, on TV because there's not a lot of college hockey uh, north of the border, although TSN has started to show some. Sometimes they're delayed games or, or whatever. But uh, the NCHC uh, TV package is fantastic. Uh, I use it a lot. And uh, you, you said there's there's maybe some changes coming. Is there stuff that you can talk about yet? What could be different? Yeah. So the the technology partner that that we were with previously, New Line, which trans uh, transitioned to what was called New Line College, was sold to another company called Sidearm. Sidearm's owned by Learfield, and Learfield certainly a big player in the collegiate athletic space uh, here in the U.S. And so. Um, we're just making a transition with the platform over uh, from New Line College to Sidearm. We actually had them in our office yesterday, kind of going through the transition phase, and it'll it'll have a very similar look and feel. All the features that fans are used to will be there. But then we talked about some just minor general enhancements that we can make. You know, when you when you build something, you know, whether it be a house or in this case, I guess a digital network, there's always things that you're like. I wish I would have done this differently or wish I would have done this better. And so I think those were kind of some of the small detail things that we've talked about with our new partner, Sidearm, that hopefully fans will be able to enjoy and see as the uh, release of the new platform comes at some point here in September. One of the things you mentioned uh, at the start there was about the frozen face-off and how successful that move uh, to the Excel Center in in, uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota has been. I always wondered why it was important, and I know it's been successful, so I'm, it's not a criticism at all, but why not have it in uh, in a building that actually is part of the NCAC? I know it's within the footprint of your conference, but you don't actually have a team that plays in, in St. Paul or Minneapolis, for that matter. Uh, why is it uh, good to have like a neutral site rather than, say, rotate it every year at, at a different uh, at a different campus uh, from one of the teams that are in the conference? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, historically, if you went back and look at college hockey conferences, the neutral site model was the model. You know, I don't know that at one point in time there was any conference, you know, back when the CCHA was around and the WCHA in a different format and obviously hockey East, ECAC, you know, they were all in neutral site uh, models for that championship weekend, you know, t- traditionally semifinals in a championship game. And so when when realignment happened in 2011 and we were forming our conference, you know, we felt like it was important for us to continue that that mode and that model because our members had great experiences in the CCHA and the WCHA in either Jolis Arena or XL Energy Center. And so um, that was what was established at the beginning when when the conference formed, and it's continued to be a priority for us. Uh, yet today, uh, I think a couple things. We, we believe that the student athlete experience 
um, in an NHL venue, NHL type of venue, and certainly an NHL venue with XL Energy Center provides them an excellent, excellent experience. Um, secondly, uh, for the fans in the fan experience, we know that the fans can circle the date on their calendar. We know that the fans know where they, they, they need to get to or, or where they want to go if they want to come be a part of the frozen face-off um, because it's going to be in St. Paul, Minnesota each and every year. And so uh, that venue plus complementing the factors surrounding the city of St. Paul and us producing ancillary events like Fan Fest. Uh, we have our award celebration on Thursday night leading into the weekend. We have a fan skate where you can skate on the ice of XL Energy Center, obviously home of the Minnesota Wild. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, ancillary things surrounding the weekend that I think would be a little bit difficult to do uh, in a campus site format um, that we think adds greatly to the fans' experience. And so uh, we've continued to believe that uh, the neutral site model is is best for our conference. Um, you know, it's obviously a discussion that we have each and every year just to kind of check in on it. Um, but for the first six years, and in particular since we made the move over to XL Energy Center, we feel very strongly that we have one of the best college hockey tournament championship weekend experiences across the country. And I think our players would say that, and I think our fans who attend the event would say that. And, you know, that's what our focus has been on the student-athlete and fan experience. And we think the neutral site model gives the best of, of, of that. If it's in Minnesota every year, the state of Minnesota, is there at all an unfair advantage for the Bulldogs or St. Cloud State uh, in terms of fan base? We know North Dakota fans are going to travel. You could have it. You could play these games on the moon, and there would be green and black jerseys in the, <laughs> in the stands. Uh, but is there a, a bit of a disadvantage for some of the teams that have to travel further? I don't think so. Um, I, I think they would tell you that um, they would much prefer to play in a venue with great atmosphere that is full of fans, even if those fans may be wearing a different team's color. Um, I think that just adds to the overall experience. And so, um, you know, whether you're talking to Denver, Colorado College, Western Michigan, Miami, maybe to some extent Omaha, although they're, you know, in a drivable distance to the location, I don't know that any of them would say, um, it's unfair when we play St. Cloud State or Duluth or North Dakota in the frozen face-off. I think they see that as a great opportunity and going to be a great experience um, because they know that there's going to be a, a loud, raucous crowd there. Josh, there's six conferences. Uh, your conference has uh, eight teams. Uh, each conference has its its own feel to it, and, and I'm sure there are some challenges that are unique to each conference. What might some of those be for the NCHC? What are what are the hurdles you have to clear every year? Well, I mean, I say I think it's different in any every, any given year. Um, you know, last year we seemed to have challenges uh, surrounding geography and, and getting teams and officials to and from where they needed to go, but a lot of that was based upon weather. And so, you know, some some may say that the spread out nature of our conference, which spans over three time zones. Um, can be a problem, and, and yes, it, it can be an issue when we have, uh, you know, weather situations that come in and, and cause issues in, in travel. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that that's something that's, you know, can can be based upon circumstances that are that are occurring or not occurring. Um, but you know, we we have we have challenges um, in making sure that our tournament experience and our championship weekend experiences. Are, are the best they can be. I mean, we're, we're not going to stop until we can sell every single ticket within XL Energy Center. And we certainly 
haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, and so, um, you know, we're focused on how we can do better with our tournament experience. Uh, we're focused on how we can do better with our digital and our social experience, although we think we do it fairly well. And, and a lot of credit goes to our director of communications, Michael Wiseman, and what he does in that those areas. Um, but but there are always challenges there. You know, financially, um, running a college hockey conference, um, from a financial standpoint, we're heavily reliant on our on our revenue that comes from our postseason tournament. I think we've done a nice job of um, coming up with new revenue streams or, or, or using d- different revenue streams to be less reliant upon supporting the conference financially just through the success of the tournament, but the financial model hinges certainly a lot on the tournament. And so, you know, there are challenges um, on on any given year, and, and, you know, those challenges seem to change when you get into uh, the season, and it's based upon, obviously, the set of circumstances that are in front of you. One of the questions that came in, uh, submitted by uh, one of the uh, listeners in the audience, uh, spoke about uh, uh, financial uh, sustainability dependent on the uh, the attendance. In fact, the question is, could the NCHC sustain the quality of its product with attendance similar to a different conference? I, and I, I, I wasn't aware that uh, it was that big of a, a ticket-driven or a gate-driven um, a business that the that college hockey was in. I, I didn't know that it really mattered how many fans were coming out. It, I, is that uh, that is the case, that it is a lot more dependent on uh, on, on the gate? Yeah, I certainly don't want to speak for my colleagues in other conferences, but I think they would tell you somewhat generally the same thing, is that historically college hockey conferences and the financial structure of them have relied um, fairly significantly upon um, the postseason tournament. Now, when we look at the postseason tournament, for us, that spans over two weekends. We have a quarterfinal round on the campus sites, best of three series. The winners of those series move on to St. Paul to the frozen faceoff. And so, you know, our overall tournament look and and the financial picture of that is over two weekends. It's not just what's happening in St. Paul. It's also what's happening in that previous weekend. My point is that I think we've done a great job of showcasing to the fans that maybe we're a little unsure about whether um, financially it could sustain itself over time with kind of some of the ebbs and flows that may come with the tournament, that we've been able to do that. We, we've positioned ourselves now, uh, we've got a little over a month, I guess, to go in the fiscal year, but we've positioned ourselves for a sixth straight uh, surplus position financially, um, which is a really, really positive thing for the conference and something that our membership is and our office staff is very proud of. Um, and, and, and a lot of that is reliant upon the tournament, but then we've been able to go out and, and as I've mentioned before, generate new revenue streams that have made our overall model less reliant on the tournament, which is, which is a very positive thing. So whether it be sponsorship or digital network, um, some of our other media agreements that we have, we, there's some licensing things. We have a new online store, shopnchc.com, that was launched last year. That's helped out a little bit in that regard. And, and that's really kind of my job or our job in the office is to say, okay, we know what we have from a tournament standpoint. We can always do more um, at the Frozen Faceoff weekend, and that's what our focus is going to be. But when you look at the previous weekend, Guy, 
there's not much that, that we in the office can do because it's based upon who plays who from the conference standings. And as I sit here today in, in almost August 1st, I can't tell you who's going to finish one through four and five through eight. Um, but those standings will dictate, you know, where those matchups will be in that quarterfinal round. And, and obviously the revenue can, can ebb and flow a little bit based upon what venue you're in and who's hosting and who's not. And so I think we've done a good job of, of, making the, the model less reliant on, on the tournament by um, engaging in some new revenue streams. Josh Fenton is the commissioner of the NCHC conference in the NCAA. He's my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Our Ask the Commissioner segment throughout July continues. Uh, we mentioned eight teams in the conference. Is that a comfortable number for you? It's It's not like junior hockey where a franchise can relocate from one year to another or a new team can just come in it's a little different with college hockey those those things take a, a little bit more time but is eight teams comfortable for you or would you like to see that grow to nine or ten or even more well i think it's a, a number that we've been very comfortable with um and i think the success and, and maybe the numbers over the past six years have, have proven that the numbers can work I mean, it allows us to play uh, a pretty nice not almost not perfectly balanced 24 game schedule which gives our institutions opportunities for 10 non-conference games with the 34 game maximum in the NCA um and so there're a lot of advantages to um having the number that that we have um it's it's a small a tight knit group uh, all eight institutions are committed to hockey at the absolute highest level uh, I know they're all having discussions today or they have discussions regularly about how they can improve their hockey programs to compete for national championships on, on any given year. And so we have a, we have a lot of, uh, similar thinkers and, and in the past the term like-mindedness has been used. Um, but I think that, that is, is proven very true in our conference. And so we've been focused on these past six years and strengthening the, the eight member, uh, configuration that we have. Um, do we have discussions about, you know, changes that may come in the future or changes in other areas that may have impact on us in the future? Absolutely. It's our job to do that. It's my job to do that. And so, um, you know, I, I'm certainly paying attention and having conversations with those I need to have conversations with just to understand um, how things have changed or may continue to change across college hockey that that may have an impact uh, on the NCHC in the future. I can tell you right now we we don't really have any um, d- direct or proactive conversations about um, expansion or you know some other number, um, but but. I myself as the commissioner and, and, and the person in charge of the conference and what the memberships entrusted me to do is to pay attention to, to what's going on out there. And if there's something that we need to discuss, uh, you can bet that we'll certainly discuss it. But uh, recently, um, over the past, call it two to three years, we've had you know very little discussion about um, expansion. And it's been about the focus of the existing eight members. All right, let's uh, look at the Frozen Four. The last uh, number of years and the next few years, they're all being held now in NHL markets, not necessarily college hockey markets, but some of those have been really successful. Going down to Tampa, for instance, is, has been really uh, a successful venue for the Frozen Four. Now, I know you had put a bit in uh, with through the conference to, to, for Kansas City, uh, and I read some articles recently. You're looking at Madison Square Garden in New York or, or out in L.A., uh, where's that situation at right now for future bids? 
So we're still in the process of figuring out uh, what opportunities we may have to play as a host. Uh, we're having conversations uh, with a variety of markets, um, not with nothing solidified at this point. You know, the bid portal opens and the bid process, I should say, opens for the NCA on a, on a variety of their championships uh, on August 1st. And so it'll open here in a couple days, um, and then it stays open until the beginning, I believe, of February. So it, it's going to be open for a few months here. And so we, over the next month to two months, will get ourselves uh, organized with, with uh, who will align ourselves from a bid standpoint. Uh, it, it may be one. It may be more than one. Um, but that's something that I'm still trying to figure out. We, we've got great relationships across different markets and, and different venues um, in, in, in the United States. And I think um, what we're looking at and, and the opportunities that, that we see in front of us just in general with the Frozen Four is, is an ability to take the event to maybe a market it hasn't been to, a non-traditional market, but a market that commands quite a bit from uh, a media attention standpoint, um, knowing that it would give the participating teams, student-athletes, and the fans that attend, attend incredible experiences. Uh, we've had some great Frozen Fours uh, in, in great markets, and, and I know we're going to have another great one next year in Detroit, um, obviously in the new building there. Um, but you know we're looking at some some non-traditional markets, and it's been widely publicized before. And those are the conversations that we're currently having. Just nothing yet has um, kind of been finalized, and so I'm, I'm not at will to say exactly where we are with specific discussions. Sure, uh, Kansas City was interesting, though. It's not a Division One uh, hockey market, and nor an NHL market. It has an NHL quality building. Um, but uh, I wondered wh why that was such an interesting fit for you, uh, being that it's not an NHL market or a Division One college hockey market. Well, a couple of things. Uh, it was our first time ever being a part of uh, a bid. You know, it was back when our conference really just had gotten going. And so I think that was like year two, maybe year three, actually probably year two of the conference when that opportunity was, was presented to us. And it came through. Um, somebody I'd worked with on the television side that um, worked with somebody very close in the Kansas City uh, Sports Commission type of organization there, and uh, we started talking, and and I said, yeah, let's 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 see what happens. Um, I, I do think that the NCA and the Men's Ice Hockey Championships Committee have a preference um, to put the put the event into NHL venues, uh, NHL markets. Um, I think they feel as though that there's a lot of built-in advantages, which I would agree with them on that. Um, but who knows? Maybe they would stray from that, and maybe they would consider a market like Kansas City or maybe a market like Milwaukee. It's obviously been there before, and and uh, you know there are there are other ones across this country that that they certainly could look at. But I think their preference would be to go into an NHL market, an NHL uh, venue. Um, there, there's there's the schedule of the event itself has a little bit um, kind of dictates a little bit who may bid and who may not bid. So, for instance, for most of the time, and don't ask me how to tell you how much of the time because I'm not sure, but most of the time, uh, the event falls in the last week of the NHL regular season. Mm -hmm. However, 
there are a few occasions when the event will fall in the first week of the NHL playoffs of the first round. And so, uh, for instance, this past year, Buffalo, unfortunately for Buffalo, didn't make the playoffs, but Frozen Four was the first week of, of the first round, or first part of the first round of the NHL playoffs. And um, I believe we have the same situation next year in Detroit. So my point is that that may have some NHL markets, NHL venues thinking differently um, if the years coincide with years in which the first round is the same week as the Frozen Four. I got gotcha. you. Uh, if you were looking to, to take it to uh, non-traditional hockey markets, but NHL uh, markets, would uh, Vegas and even Seattle, uh, because the next three Frozen Fours are pretty, uh, they're established already where they're going to be, but four years from now, there'll be an NHL team in Seattle. Could that be a market? Yeah, so first off, for your listeners, the, the bid process is going to look at awarding the bids for the 23, 24, 25, and 26 Frozen Fours. So that's the four years that they're going to award. As you mentioned, the next three are already situated. Um, but to answer your question, Vegas and Seattle, obviously those are two non-traditional markets when you consider the, the Frozen Four and, and even to some extent hockey, although the NHL and hockey is becoming more solidified each and every day, each and every year in the city of Vegas, and I'm assuming it will get in that direction in the city of Seattle once the NHL franchise is, is going up there. Um, so, yeah, I think those would be ter- excellent type of uh, markets and, and venues to put the the event in. I, you know, for, for me and, and how I look at this event, you know, the, there's there's a lot of tradition and history surrounding the event, um, and there's a lot of history and tradition history and tradition surrounding some of the markets that the event has been in, you know, the St. Paul's of the world, the Boston's of the world. Um, Those are markets the event should always be in. Those are hockey hotbeds, college hockey hotbeds, hockey hotbeds. Um, The event deserves to be there regularly. Um, But I think we have an opportunity here to grow the sport, enhance the game, uh, promote it on a, on a wider scale to, um, a larger audience by moving not every year but every so often into a non-traditional market um, that can help showcase our game differently than than maybe it has in the past. And so whether that's a, a Vegas, a Seattle, a Los Angeles, a Dallas, you know, Nashville's been mentioned. Um, certainly, Tampa has been involved in the Frozen Four, so that's been a good one. Uh, Chicago, we need to be going back to Chicago, um, just with obviously the history of hockey there. And then the Northeast, obviously Boston's going to be in the mix, and it should be in the mix, but, um, you know, Midtown Manhattan and Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, as they call it, um, you know, I know you couldn't do it quite regularly there, just given the cost and the logistics and and what goes into putting on events there, Um, but it would be incredibly exciting and fun to bring a Frozen Four to uh, New York City. 30% of uh, players in NCAA hockey are Canadian. Obviously, Canada is a uh, hockey hotbed and a strong market traditionally for hockey. Could you ever foresee the day a Frozen Four is played in Canada? Um, I would love it to happen, Guy. I, uh, you know, I, I think there's certainly some hurdles there, but the history, rich, rich history and tradition of the sport in the country of Canada uh, is obviously uh, incredible. And and whether it be professional hockey or junior hockey or youth hockey across the country through grassroots programs, um, 
people that live in Canada obviously love hockey. And so bringing college hockey's crown jewel event, even though we, from a member institution standpoint, don't have a footprint in the country, um, I think would be a great opportunity. Um, you know, the city of Toronto or even the, the western side of the country and maybe consideration of Vancouver or Calgary or, you know, heck, even maybe a Winnipeg. But, you know, Toronto is kind of being the epicenter of, of the country there, um, I think would be a, a great, great opportunity in the future. Whether we could get to that point, um, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that one. All right. Lastly, a uh, hard-hitting question, a journalistic question from uh, Jeff Bennett, who's the uh, head coach of the uh, ladies' soccer team at, uh, I think it's Colorado College. He wants to know what your favorite uh, 80s song of all time is. First of all, Jeff Bennett lives five houses down the street from me in Colorado Springs, um, and he's a good man, and he's a good soccer coach, and he knows that I am an 80s music listener. Um, I give you two groups. I'm not gonna give you a song. There's there's too many of them to give you. I'll give you two groups: uh, Journey uh-huh. and Bon Jovi. All right, seen Bon Jovi a few times in concert. How many for you? Uh, once. Just once. Which tour? Just once. Though, which yeah. tour was that? Uh, it was. It wasn't. I don't believe it was on his official tour. I saw him at uh, an event called Lucky Palooza at Churchill Downs in kentucky outside it was quite the experience excellent well yeah. listen josh i really appreciate your time uh thanks for doing this again in the off season and uh looking forward to some nchc hockey this coming summer or summer this coming fall we wish we could start playing some hockey this <laughs> this coming summer it's everybody's starting to get the itch ski thanks for having me always good to talk to you and uh happy to do it anytime that was Josh Fenton, commissioner of the NC8C uh, conference in the NCAA. Quite the dominating run right now for that conference. Uh, four national championships in a row, and the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs looking to make that an ultra-rare three-peat. Hasn't happened since the 50s, as you heard uh, Mr. Fenton talk about there. Moving quickly, next up is the USHL, and that means another Ask the Commish segment, this time with Tom Garrity from the United States Hockey League, up next here on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. Hey, this is Brock Besser from the Waterloo Blackhawks. Hey, it's Kyle Connor from the Youngstown Fans. I'm Mr. Garrigan from the View Flying Sane. Hi, it's Ali Sullivan from Sioux City Musketeers. Hi, this is Ryan Patolny, former player with the Lincoln Stars. This is Cooper Marodi from the Sioux Falls Stampede. Blake McLaughlin from the Chicago Steel. Hey, this is Sam Gagne, formerly the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. Hey, I'm Wade Allison from the Tri-City Storm. Hi, this is Tom Gilbert, former Chicago Steel player. Jack Curry from the Waterloo Blackhawks. It's Casey Middlestaff from the Green Bay Gamblers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's no time for mistakes, cause it's slipping away. Even though it might be easier, I won't give in now. Benning to the middle, Mitchell grabs it, walks in on the backhand, shoots, and scores! These Spruce Grove Saints are excited to unveil their first ever hockey school. Taking place August 19th to 23rd right here at the Grant Fear Arena. Brought to you by Subway and Humpty's Restaurants of Spruce Grove. This one-week hockey school includes over 10 hours of on- and off-ice instruction from Saints coaching staff and current Saints players. Each camp participant will receive a camp jersey and a t-shirt to keep and have one on-ice and one off-ice session 
per day. Each day will have a specific focus to enhance the skating, shooting, and puck handling skills of each player. Both boys and girls of all levels of all experience are encouraged to come out and take part. To cap off the week, each group will have a Subway sub party with the Saints coaches up in the lounge. Visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca to sign up for the Hockey School now. Click on the Hockey School tab on the right side of the page.